Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had and rejoicing in Christ together. And uh, pray that it continues to encourage you as we take time to study God's Word this morning. Uh, let me invite you, if you would, we're going to start a new uh, series this morning. And as you might imagine, if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians, this might take a while. And uh, as we think about 2 Corinthians and all of what is laid out in 2 Corinthians, and there's so much to learn, it's always helpful for us to think in terms of we need a compelling introduction. And then when we think of 2 Corinthians and really the whole broad sweep of it, it's really pointing us to rest our faith in God's power in the midst of our weakness. We need God to work out His power in the midst of our weakness and all the ways in which that is displayed on a regular basis in our lives individually. But even as we think about 2 Corinthians, as we think about walking through the entirety of the letter together and all of what that means, and as we think about a compelling introduction, I wonder if you might want to think about this in terms of how you think of sorting your own mail. We need to think in terms of who this is from, who this is to. We need to know these sorts of things. And as we think about sorting the mail and putting it all together and trying to sort out, is this for me or is this not for me? Who's this to? Who's this from? Why should it matter? Why should I pay any attention to what God has to say through the book of 2 Corinthians? Let me encourage you, grab your Bibles here this morning. Read with me, if you will, this compelling introduction from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through verse 2. Read with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have exalted you in song here today. We have come before you in prayer already, confessing our great need of you. And Father, we ask that in this moment now, you would grip our attention. And Lord, that more than anything else that we would come away with is a clear understanding of your grace and your peace received from you and through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Father, direct our attention where it needs to be that we may live and grow and worship in spirit and in truth together. In all things and in every way, may, the, may our time in your word together here now bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So as we think of 2 Corinthians, as we think of really backlogging, understanding the context, there's a lot of context to go around here. Because you think of Paul's original interaction with the Corinthian church and you go all the way back to Acts chapter 18. And it's an interesting story if you wanted to go back and read it. And you really are reading a magnificent work of God's grace. There's the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey somewhere between 50 and 51 A.D. And he's preaching the gospel. And he shows up in Corinth and starts preaching the gospel in the synagogue. And as you might imagine, as was often the case, that was not well received. And eventually what happens is they forced him out of the synagogue as people are coming to faith in Christ. And he plants the first church of Corinth right next door to the synagogue. And as he's continuing to preach the gospel and people are led to faith in Christ, it's amazing. He spends a year and a half there 
preaching the gospel and leading people to maturity in Christ. There's a lot of time spent. There's a lot of personal connections. And even as we think of the letters of First and Second Corinthians, right, even within the letters, there's reference to correspondence between Paul and the church that we do not have, but God has kept for us what we needed here in First and Second Corinthians. And as you think of First Corinthians... You think of reading the letter, and maybe you're familiar with it, and you see a wonderful work of God's grace in the church, and you also see some major issues going on. As you think of 1 Corinthians, and you unpack the divisions around personalities and the, you know, the wisdom of God necessary and how God was at work in that, that they are called to boast only in Christ. They are to have the mind of Christ. And then at the same time, there's all manner of sexual immorality among the brothers. There's church discipline that is necessary. There's lawsuits within the church. Then there's this unpacking of marriage and singleness for the glory of Christ, food sacrificed to idols, all things for the glory of God, dealing with head coverings and spiritual gifts and the Lord's Supper and church membership and then unpacking the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and pointing them to gospel hope. And you might say, well, after all of that, is there really more that's necessary? Could he really have more to say? But see, it's interesting as we think of 2 Corinthians, as we think about relationships that are built, that when you get on the phone with your best friend or your closest family member, somehow you just never run out of things to talk about. You ever notice that? Somehow it feels like, I mean, other people may be listening to you on the phone. There's like, there's no way they could possibly have any more to say. And then sure enough, you just kick it right back off and there you go again. It's like, are you serious? And really as we read 2 Corinthians, what we see is just how deep the personal connection is. And how God is fostering these strong relationships to lead his people to maturity in Christ. So as we read this and as we look at this, let's start to sort the mail a little. And let's figure out and recognize who the senders and who are the recipients. Because we're told in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Of course, they're familiar with Paul and the testimony of his redeeming, of redeeming grace of Christ at work in his lives, transforming him from persecutor of the church to preacher of the gospel. And just the amazing reality that his life testified to the living Christ and that not only did Jesus convert him by the work of the Holy Spirit, but you also see that the risen Christ has called him to be an apostle. So we read here, not only do we say, Paul, but we read an apostle of Christ Jesus, which if you're just defining the terms, apostle really only means sent one, but in the New Testament sense, it means a whole lot more than just that. It means one who is sent to speak with the authority of the one who sent them. And then as we think about the apostles, we're We're talking specifically of people who are eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, commissioned by the resurrected Christ to speak the words of the resurrected Christ. Just like the Old Testament prophets, in a New Testament sense, the apostles are saying, thus says the Lord. And it is, in fact, God himself speaking through the apostles. So interestingly enough, when we start to sort the mail here, even from the outset, it might be interesting for us to say, oh, well, this is from Paul. Lord willing, it's a whole lot more interesting when you start to realize, no, ultimately, 
This is from Jesus Christ himself. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And that as we think of the inspiration of Scripture, of God working in such a way that He is leading those who are human to write down the very words of God, directing them in not only their words, but also the ways in which the words are conveyed and working through their own individual personalities. We recognize God has done a miraculous work of leaving us Scripture here today so that we can gather around 2 Corinthians and not simply say, this is an old letter to an old church. This is God's Word to this church. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah. Jesus is speaking to us here today. So as you sort the mail, you start to sort it out by the significance of the sender, right? You might pull an envelope out and it says, you know, Kroger Plus card on it, and you're like, I know where this one's going to get filed. But it's going to be a whole lot different if it's from the IRS. You're going to try not to file that one in the trash just yet. The significance of the sender at least gathers our attention enough to where we pause and think it out. And that we recognize this is a a more compelling introduction than maybe we realize because not only do we read here Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he also goes on to say, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So it's not Paul's will that that Paul is an apostle and it's not Paul's will that this letter is retained and kept for us to grow in the wisdom and to maturity in Christ. It is by the will of God. God did this. Now, there were all kinds of attempts, and we'll see some of them as we unpack 2 Corinthians, as people were trying to deny the apostleship of Christ. And interestingly enough, people still do that now. Because if you can deny the apostleship of Paul, and you can say, well, he didn't actually write 2 Corinthians, then what you're ultimately saying is, we don't need to worry about this at all. We don't need to listen. But in fact, this was given to us by the will of God. And... Right there along with the Apostle Paul is Timothy, our brother. Timothy, a disciple and traveler along with the Apostle Paul who was with Paul in Acts chapter 18 when the gospel first took root in Corinth, who had already made a visit to the Corinthian church on behalf of the Apostle Paul that's made reference to in 1 Corinthians. Notice he says, he is our brother. That as you sort out the mail, you're not going to throw out mail from your family. At least I hope not. At least it's going to capture a little bit more of your attention. You know, when you can see that it's a card that's handwritten, you're probably going to keep that more than when it's just got a printed thing on it. We're meant to lean in a little, to pay attention, to focus down, to listen to this compelling introduction and to be ready to learn and ready to listen and to hear and recognize the sender. It's not merely Paul, an apostle, but the one who sent Paul as an apostle who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so maybe we've sit and recognized the senders here, but who are the recipients? Well, as the, the rest of verse 1 goes to unpack, it says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, and with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Who's the recipient? Now, this is a funny way of recognizing whether or not you want to keep this mail. Because there are, you know, it's funny because somewhere along the way, marketers have found f- 
fake names for Meredith and I that they repeatedly send this weird mail to. So if I can go to the mailbox, or Ellie goes to the mailbox, and she brings all the mail inside, and so we're sorting through the mail. If I see that it's to Timo they Benyet, then I'm pretty confident that these people have no idea who I am. My personal favorite, though, is Meredith's marketing name, which has followed us through Texas. I mean, when we lived in Texas, all the way through all of our time in Georgia, if we get mail to Megan Bent, then we know. They meant to get this to Meredith, but we know very well where it's going to get. See, a lot of times as we think of, re, you know, understanding where things came from and understanding to whom it is to, very quickly we can make these decisions. But as we come to God's Word, who is the recipient here? To whom is this actually sent? Because he tells us here, he says, to the church of God that is at Corinth. So, okay, well, the church of God here is the recipients, believers saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who confess that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead and have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. We who are the church. The word itself, the Greek word itself, meaning not only called out ones, but those who are gathered in fellowship. God's people who have a lot to learn. They're like children with father. There's a lot of t- with their father. There's a lot of teachable moments along the way. There's a lot of things to learn. There's a lot of things to glean. There's a lot of moments where it's like, okay, son, or okay, daughter, you need to remember this. And see, it's helpful for us to remember that the church is not the building. The church is the people. We gather in the building. We thank God for the opportunity to gather in the building. But the church is the people. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you think of all these biblical metaphors for the church, and you think of you know, the church being the body and Christ as the head, or the church being the family and, the Christ, and our Christ as the head. You think of the church being a, a flock and Christ as our shepherd. You think of the church as the bride and Christ as our groom. You think of the church as the house made with living stones, and Christ ourself is the cornerstone and the builder. Personal indeed. So not only do we read this to the church of God, but he, know, he mentions one specifically here. He says the one that's at Corinth. And we might back up for a little bit until we recognize just how applicable this is to all of us. Corinth had a rich history, right? Centered right there in a place across a four and a half mile isthmus where there was all manner of rich history. Rich in Greek culture. The Romans destroyed it in 146. Julius Caesar built it back in 44. And when he built it back, he built it back as a veterans colony that became known for all manner of immorality. It was a centerpiece of trade and a gathering point for all manner of things across the Roman Empire. And at the time when this was written, it boasted a theater of 15,000 seats, temples to Apollo and Aphrodite and Athena, and temples even to the emperor worship. There was trade traffic everywhere. There was the Isthmian Games, which was really only rivaled by the Olympics themselves. Here's this letter written to this church that is full of entertainment and limitless religious options with a rigorous economy and a love of sports that is sexualized and sex-obsessed in just about every way. And we lean in and we think, this is very pertinent, isn't it? 
We need God to demonstrate His strength amid our weakness. Because the church is in danger here in the Corinthian days. The church is in danger now of being seen as irrelevant or even being noted as dangerous. And we need to be able to embrace our faith in Christ no matter what comes. We have a lot to learn. All of a sudden we're starting to lean in and maybe you're starting to see your name on this. Because not only does he say to the church of God that is at Corinth, he says with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. New Testament believers, to all the saints, we see even from the introduction here, this was meant for believers all over the place. It's not meant for one city, it's meant to travel around, it's a circular letter. It's meant to go to little believing pockets of people gathered together uh, in faith in Christ to worship and to bring honor and glory to Him. He says, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, that whole southern half of Greece. And it's very easy for us to read saints and be like, well... That's not me. But see, don't embrace the whole notion of the Roman Catholic position on sainthood. In order to be a saint, they'll tell you you have to be dead for five years. You have to have been acknowledged as having a virtuous life by some, um, someone who investigates you, who will then call you a servant of God. You have to have two miracles that actually... Ha- they go through the process of trying to verify these things in your name before you can actually be considered a saint. Can I ask you a question? Why would the Apostle Paul be sending a letter to people who would have to be dead for five years? Saints are holy ones who are made holy in Christ through faith in Him. If you're truly a saint, you fully recognize the fact that you do not deserve it. No one qualifies themselves. You're only qualified in Christ. So this letter is not to an elite group of people. This letter is to those who are forgiven and redeemed and rescued by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, gathered together in worship of the living Lord. And that's true whether you're in Corinth, in the whole of Achaia, or all over the place, because it's not just for Corinthians and just for Achaeans. It's for Gwinnettians, right? And Lilburnites. You can make a creative tag on any whatever the the address on your name is. This is for you. Because we need to know, recognize our weakness and recognize the wonder of God's strength to bring comfort. God's strength to encourage us to walk more sure in He who raises the dead who shapes our lives for His glory, who shows us that we are but clay pots with the treasure of the gospel inside of us. Sort the mail. Prepare your hearts. And see, maybe you're leaning in a little closer and recognizing, my name's on here. God is speaking to me. God is going to teach me. Where is this going? And even as you think about sorting the mail and looking at it, you may be thinking, once you get past, okay, senders and recipients, you might flip the envelope over and then ask yourself the question, what am I supposed to get out of this? What's the next thing that's said here in verse 2? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father 
See, the introduction matters. And it's significant that we find some form or fashion of this introduction in all of Paul's letters. Because especially when you're dealing with a letter of this kind of length, you're going to need something that's going to compel you in. I mean, the average handwritten letter, if you were just to write one out, depending on your handwriting, but the average is about, you could get about 250 words per page. There's more than 4,400 words in 2 Corinthians. Something like an 18-page letter. So you're going to look at that thing, and you're going to look at the first line and be like, you better start off with something good if I'm going to make it through 18 pages of this. What's it start off with? Grace to you. What a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ here. Because it's pointing us not only to our salvation, but also pointing us to the fountain from which we will grow as believers. God's grace. God's undeserved favor that saves us and bears forth fruitfulness in our own lives. And that to even have any conception of God's grace, we have to understand our own sinfulness. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If God were merely just, all we would receive was justice. But God in His grace is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We all have our sinful tendencies, and there's all the darkness in our lives and all the ways in which we prop up our pride, and then grace invades and calls us out of the darkness into His marvelous light and saves us. By nature, we were children of wrath, storing up wrath for the day of judgment, and yet by grace, He has saved us. Grace to you. It's like, look at your salvation, believer. And for the, if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, listen to this invitation. Listen to what is offered to you in Christ. Grace to you. God being rich in His mercy because of His great love for us, by grace you have been saved. See, grace is a free gift. It's freely offered. And it must be freely received. It's laid out for us. Take it. But it must be received by faith. But see, grace not only saves, but grace that is saving sustains. Which is why he would write to believers and say, grace to you. Because as you're navigating your life and you're trying to figure things out, you're reminded not only of forgiveness and justification and being made alive in Christ Jesus and being redeemed, but also how is it that I'm going to grow in holiness in Christ? How is it that I'm going to find the strength to remove the things that seem to be plaguing my life that's a detriment from my walk with Christ? How am I going to do that from my own strength? No, grace to you. See the benefit here. See the ways in which he's garnering and pointing our attention even from the very first step Look to Christ. Never take your eyes off of Him. Grace to you. Our hope rests in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And it's like once you come to know grace and you recognize how undeserving you are and how lavishly God pours His grace out upon us, what, may, what does that make you want to do? I want to learn more. I want to learn more. How could He be so gracious? And we don't use grace as a reason to sin. We use grace as a reason to live for His glory. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in our salvation. 
That we who once in our own sin were at war with God are reconciled to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We are made at peace with Him. And see, you may very well know that peace changes the way in which you live your own life. Because when there is open hostility in your life somewhere, it affects everything else. How much more so is that the case with God himself? He's reminding us of the great, not only the great work that God has done through Jesus Christ in saving us, but he's reminding us as well that our peace is Christ. His peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or as Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, 2 Corinthians is going to unravel for us one of the great difficulties of our own discipleship. Because sometimes we get the wrong idea that if we can just control everything, everything's going to be all right. If we can just have our hands on all the details and it can all be done in our own strength, then everything's going to be fine and we'll finally have peace. And 2 Corinthians is here to remove that from us. There is no peace without Him. We need to admit our weakness and admit our need for Him because peace is not in us having control. Our peace is in trusting Him who has control. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, our Lord Jesus, they're the source. So that everyone who, around us in this world who looks at us be like, where did you get that? How is it that that, that is alive and at work in you? Where, where is all this fruit coming from in your life, so to speak? It's not from me. I didn't do it. No, it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As a, we must never get over the fact that if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you have God as your Father. And that as a believer, as a child of God, there is no shame in asking dad for help. It's a delight when the kids come running up and be like, daddy, daddy, I need help with this. And sometimes you walk in and be like, hey, this is easy. Of course, sometimes you walk in and you're like, this is interesting. But we have a heavenly Father who is never perplexed, who is never overwhelmed, who never looks at our circumstances and says, there's no way out. He looks at us and says, you are mine. So that as we look at our own lives and as we recognize our own weakness and we're trying to figure it all out and we ask the questions, how am I going to make it? How am I going to navigate this mess? How am I going to mature? How am I going to focus on the right things? How am I going to embrace this hard road and narrow road of following Christ? From the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. We need Him all the time. Christian maturity is not just embracing Christ and turning around and figuring it all out on our own. Christian maturity is ever increasingly growing upon, in reliance upon the grace of God and Jesus Christ. 
we lean more heavily upon Him. Jesus is our Lord. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. And we are surrendered to Him. And that grace and peace flows through the life that is surrendered to Him. Not as a momentary reality, but as a continual work of His glory. You see, we gather around here today in front of the Lord's Supper. And in just a few moments, we'll take time to share the Lord's Supper together and to fellowship together in the truth of what God has provided for us in that. And that Jesus told us, just as it's written on the table there, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're not simply remembering that Jesus told us to do this. We're remembering grace and peace. That when you take the bread and you take the cup and you think of the body of the eternal Son of God, who came in the flesh and lived in perfect righteousness, who was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, who went to the cross and whose body was broken for you. Where he died on the cross for your sin. During the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin individually. So that all who would repent and believe would have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. What are we celebrating in the table? Grace and peace to you. Because that body was broken. That blood was shed as represented by that cup. What's the result? Peace with God. A reconciled relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, before we navigate through all the intricacy and beauty of 2 Corinthians and the wonders of what it means for God to demonstrate His strength amid our weakness and all the ways in which we need to get all the way to the end of 2 Corinthians on a repeated basis and find ourselves saying, I can't do it, but hearing the words of Christ that His grace is sufficient for us for His power is made perfect in our weakness. All the ways in which we need that right now. Let's start by remembering source, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. And I wonder if you're here this morning as we've made our way through this very brief text here, as you sort the mail, so to speak, have you seen your name yet? Ready to pass this off for some other message that you got in the mail? Ready to take a little bit of interest? Maybe you just need an introduction. Maybe you just need to take a moment and finally admit the fact that you have sinned against a righteous and a holy God. That the only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ. Before we take the supper, before we remember, have something to remember. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Believe that He came in the flesh, fully God and fully man, lived, died in your place, rose from the dead. He is the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, and all that you need to receive Him is to believe. Say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died. Jesus rose.
Jesus forgives. Before we do anything else, make sure that you know Christ, that you know grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts right now. And Lord, we ask that by your spirit and for your glory, for any in here who have never known Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, who have maybe tried to shake you off a thousand ways, who have always thought this was for somebody else, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would call them to yourself today. Lord, that all of a sudden they would see that their name is being called by you specifically. And Lord, that they would flee from their sin and would run in joy to Jesus who is crucified on the cross and risen from the dead. Father, we pray that today would be a day of faith and new life in Christ. For the first time in their lives, they would hear grace and peace to you, my son. Grace and peace to you, my daughter. Father, in your glory, call people to yourself today. And Father, for all of us here who are believers, remind us of your grace and peace. Remind us of the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Remind us to look to you for all things and to trust you. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory.